My name is Pastor Dan Smith, and this is my wife, Kelsey. Uh, we pastor New Life Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We are Arc Church Plant number 608, and we've been going for 18 months. It's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, this particular app session is two commodities that every pastor needs, which is margin and money. And if this wasn't the one that you were supposed to be in, it's probably too late to get into anything else, and this is probably the one you need anyway. So just stick around, all right? Um, we have two great people to share with us today. Um, the first one my wife is going to introduce. So one of the people sharing with us today is David Payne. Um, the most important thing you need to know about him that I was told by Randy is that he's kind of a big deal. So you should feel good that you're in this room. Um, he pastors a church in Worcester, Massachusetts. Worcester. Uh, it is called Life Song Church. They have two sites and they are launching their third, which is pretty awesome. Uh, he wants you to know that he has been sitting in your seat for 11 years. They were ARC plant number 32. So be encouraged. Yeah, pretty awesome. He also serves on the A team of Relate with Randy. So I'm going to let Dan introduce Randy. Pastor Randy, you probably know his face. He's a part of the ARC lead team. Uh, he and his wife Amy moved his family from Louisiana uh, to Bradenton, Florida in 2002 to plant Bayside Community Church. They have multiple campuses now. He was the founder of Relate Coaching, and you've probably seen him before. Talk about big deal. They are just a big deal. And he talks about in his bio that, that they want to create a community that's authentic and that they have a family feel. And there's no question that he's brought that to the ark. And that's why we're all sitting here. So we're so grateful for him to be able to share with us today. Can we pray for just a moment as I, before I invite these pastors up? Jesus, we thank you so much for what you're doing at this ark conference. We pray that you would give us exactly what we need for our context to take back and to apply that you've given these men uh, the exact words and the exact encouragement that we need as church planters and leaders to be able to take our churches and our ministries to another level. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Let's give it up for Pastor Randy. All right, yeah. Thank you, guys. You definitely don't need to stand up unless you're trying to stretch out a little bit. I get it. All right. It's, uh, it's, it's good uh, just to be at this art conference. I mean, I just love ministry, and I love pastors, and I love what you're doing, and uh, it is a blessing to be a part of something like the ARC. You know how many pastors are lonely and don't know who to call or share resources together? And man, it's good to be a part of something like this, where we're just kind of sharing life together. And I'm really blessed that uh, you guys are here today. I hope that uh, things that are shared that it'll empower you to do a better job in your church. So this session uh, has had to change a little bit because Troy Maxwell was going to be a part of this, and he had a family emergency, and so uh, he's not here, okay? And so you got to pastor your family first. How many of you know that to be true, right? And so uh, I have a dear friend of mine, which you got his bio, which is David Payne. Him and Troy and I and, and Jeff Capusta's in here as well. Uh, we uh, do Relate Coaching. Uh, just a really relational part of ARC. All we're trying to do is add value to the ARC, create opportunities for people to gather in different cities and opportunities to share ideas. So Pastor David Payne from Lifesong Church is going to come and share as well. So we're going to uh, definitely talk about a couple of commodities that are very important in the local church. And I'm going to talk to you about developing a culture of generosity. That is a commodity that uh, is very important to have in your church. Pastor Dave is going to talk about just developing the right and healthy culture in your church. But I really want to dig into developing a culture of generosity. How many of you could use a little bit more money? Come on. Come on. Everybody say mo money. mo money. All right. That's what we want in our church. That's what we need in our church. But the thing about the commodity of generosity in your church is you are the leading, deciding, common denominator on how well generosity is developed in your church. I'm talking to point leaders right now. You hold the cards to generosity in your church. Okay, uh, I'll never forget years ago, we're going to hear from Brian Houston a little bit later on, but I was in a round table with him and I was talking to him about how they develop leaders so well. Like, Brian, man, tell me how you do it. And man, I wish I had leaders like you and the worship. And this was probably 12 years ago. 
And I was just wanting, like, give me the secret, man. And what he told me made me mad. You ever got an answer that you didn't like? Okay, you're going to get some today, all right? So, and, and here's the answer that he gave me. He said, Randy, he, he went to the story in 2 Kings where the widow didn't have any money and her debtors are going to come take her kid away. And, and the prophet told her, said, the oil is in your house. She said, I only have a little bit of oil. That's it. The oil is in your house. And so Brian told me, he said, Randy, the resources that you need, the leaders, the money, the whatever it is, he goes, you look at other people, you look at, you know, Hillsong or whatever, and you go, man, if I had that, and don't we all say that, if I was as smart as Chris Hodges, how many of you think life would be a lot easier? Okay. Uh, or if I had the money of Gateway, or if I had the worship at, you know, Hillsong, but what you have to realize is before they were Hillsong, they only had a little bit of oil. And you have to take the oil that is in your house and you have to begin to use that oil. And that's when it multiplied is when he began to take what he did have and pour it into the vessels that were already there. And uh, go ahead, answer the phone. Who was that? Yeah. So uh, what you have to realize is you may have vessels in your church and they might be empty vessels. Don't you wish God sent you people that were like already ready to go, right? But he sends you broken, empty vessels. And your job is to begin to pour into them. And as long as you pour into them, then God will multiply the oil in your house. So what I'm trying to tell you simply is when it comes to the culture of generosity, what you need for your church to accomplish the vision is already there. You have to start stewarding the oil that is in your house, meaning the people and the resources that are currently in your church. And when you do that, that's what gives God an opportunity to multiply what you have. All right. I told you you wouldn't like it, but it is the truth. All right. So let me just give you a couple of just things about developing generosity that uh, some things that we have done over the last several years. First of all, would you just write down that it starts in the heart? Developing a culture of generosity, it starts in the heart. All right, what that means is if you want your people to be generous, then you have to be a generous person. It starts in your heart. It has to start there. Okay, this whole thing that I'm sharing with you, these lessons I've learned, happen in a time of scarcity in our church. We were a portable church for seven and a half years. We were doing five services in an elementary school. So you church planners, you know, First of all, starting in an elementary school is, is a bad idea, but there were 11 churches meeting in schools in Manatee County when we started. Hey, Eric, what's up, man? Good to see you. There were 11 churches meeting in schools, and so the only school available was in an elementary school, so that's where we started, and we kept adding services. We did two on Saturday and three on Sunday morning, and I was tired and worn out, and we got our land, and we were building our first building in 2008 when the economy crashed. The bank that was going to give us the loan came to us and said, oh, yeah, sorry, I don't have your money now, so we can't fund your loan. And I was very discouraged. I was very depressed. We still needed about a million dollars to complete the project. And, and I remember going to the church and we needed an, and were taking a miracle offering and, and, and everybody was losing their homes. I mean, it was really bad in Florida. Anybody here from Florida? Okay. So it, where we were at, it got, we got hit really hard. And I remember I needed to take an offering. I'm like, God, I can't ask these people for money. They're struggling, God. And God, God took me to the woodshed. And he said, Randy, first of all, the reason why they're struggling is your fault. It's like, no, I didn't, I didn't scam people on housing, God. I didn't do that. And he said, but the reason why people are struggling, Randy, is because you're not leading in generosity and you're not teaching them about generosity. And the Bible says, you know, this verse in Hosea that my people, God said, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. I wasn't doing a good job of teaching and leading our church about being generous. Do You guys know the top five reasons that people don't go to church. Have you guys heard those before? Some of you have? Okay, let me just give them to you, all right? So we're all on the same page. First one is the sermons are no good. 
All right. So make sure you're preaching good sermons. Okay. How do you know if they're good or not? They're answering the questions that people have. All right. The, the second one is the music's no good. The third one is the people aren't friendly. The next one is all the church wants is my money. And then the last one is there's nothing for my kids. Okay. So because all the church wants is my money was ringing in my ear. I didn't want to teach the people about being generous and honoring God with tithe because I didn't want them to think I was just wanting money from them. And so I trumped that all the church wants is my money from teaching them relevant messages. And everybody was struggling in finances. And so God was like, Randy, the reason why people are struggling is because you're not teaching them. So I had to repent. I stood before the church and I said, it's my fault that things are going like they're going that you're struggling. Yes, the economy's struggling, but God's economy doesn't operate like the biblical economy. And if you'll start living by biblical principles, and I'm going to start teaching them to you, then I think God can bless you even when things aren't going well. And so I had to take it in my heart to go, all right, I'm going to change the culture of this church. Second thing in my heart is I had to do is I had to start being generous. Okay, I needed a lot of money and so you oftentimes think, well, I'll be generous once I have a lot. Well, if you're not generous when you have a little bit, you won't be generous when you have a lot. So we had $150,000 in our bank account. That's all the money that we had. And we needed about $750,000 more to finish the project. I had a friend of mine call me and saying, Randy, would you pray for me? We're building a building and we need $150,000. Do you know of anybody that would loan me the $150,000 till we finish the project? Because that's our contingency money. And then I'll, I'll give them the $150,000 back. I said, well, I'm actually walking into a trustees meeting right now. I'll talk to them about it and see if some of our business leaders would want to do that. I walk in there and I share that with our trustees. And you know what one of them said? Isn't it ironic that we have $150,000? Maybe we should give it to them. I said, you misunderstood my question. I just want to know if you have $150,000. And they said, I don't think we ought to let them borrow it. I think we ought to sew it into them. And I was like, I had to be, yeah, that's what I was hoping you guys would say, but I didn't want to seem like I was bigger faith, man, than you guys. No, I was shaking in my seat, man. And so he said, let's pray and see what the Lord says. So we prayed and I was not listening to the Lord. I was trying to <laughs> whisper in everybody's ear while they were praying, don't do it, you know. <laughs> and so anyway, we ended up giving them the $150,000. And then that wiped out our bank account. And so God ended up helping us fund the project. And in a year later, we didn't just have $150,000 in our bank account. We actually had $400,000 in our bank accounts. When I needed it the most, I sowed a seed. And, and if you want your church to be generous, then you have to lead them in generosity. So what does that mean? Make sure your church is a tithing church as well. Are you supporting missions work locally and globally? Are you doing that as well? But you have to lead your church in what you want them to do anyway. So that whole heart thing is what led me to develop what I call kingdom builders. And a lot of churches are doing this, and, and it, is a, um, it is a way to help fund the vision. Let me just tell you how we do it and some tools and different things that we use. And, uh, and then I'm going to have David come up, and he's going to share, and then we're going to do some Q&A at the end, okay? So uh, kingdom builders, let me define that for you. First of all, here's what we teach all the time at the church, and that is a tithe is an act of obedience. Everyone should give God the first 10%. We talk about it all the time. Tithe is an act of obedience. An offering is an act of generosity. And if you do not define those two things, and you're actually trying to raise funds in your church, and you don't teach people to make sure they're honoring God with the tithe first, then what people will do is take out of their tithe pocket and they'll give into the offering bucket. And that will hurt your operational money. You might have more money in your offering, but your operation, and you'll end up with, with the sum total is the same anyway. And I learned this the hard way. So these things I'm telling you is not theory, okay? I'm stupid and I learned the hard way. So you must make sure that you're distinguishing and teaching them the difference. Tithe is an act of obedience. Offering is an act of uh, generosity. 
And a kingdom builder is someone who gives generously to make a kingdom impact. So we developed kingdom builders, which is basically people when they give above and beyond their tithe, that's what a kingdom builder is. So uh, here's the way I kind of describe it as a kingdom builder. They are part of the people in our church that's helping me answer the what if question. Okay, here's what we're already doing in church. Here's the vision, the people that are already coming to Christ, the campuses that we already have, the outreach that we're already doing. What if we decided to be generous? Here's the things that we could do. So this is kind of dream. So I dream with the church and share them everything that we could do. What if we decided to be generous? What could we accomplish? And I roll out the vision of that in our vision series in the week, in the beginning of the year. And I say, what if you guys were generous? These are the things that we could accomplish. So on vision weekend, we celebrate what we did last year. And I roll out the what if and ask them to give towards these things. And that's what kingdom builders, they give above and beyond their tithe. And that's how we accomplish that. Now, kingdom builders for us, there's three areas of emphasis. All right. There's the next generation. So Kingdom Builders focuses on helping us raise up the next generation. We fund missions trips. We want all of our high school students in their junior, between their junior and senior year, we want them to go on a missions trip. So Kingdom Builders funds scholarships for our kids in our church to go on a missions trip. That'll change a kid's world right there, will it not? Take them to a third world country. So uh, our, our college or school of ministry that we have, those are the things that we do in our next generation, all right? We scholarship as well, our conferences and summer camps and all of those things all through the next gen lane of kingdom builders, okay? We also have missions, world missions. These are the things that we're doing around the world, planning churches, helping missions and doing things around the world. Then the third area of emphasis in kingdom builders is local, our community, and this is outreach and launching new campuses. So at the beginning of the year, when I give vision, we celebrate what we did. And what if we were generous? Here's what we could do in the next generation this year. We could send them all on a missions trip and let them see how the rest of the world is. Come on, give them a worldview, right? What else could we do? We could do this church in Nepal and we could really change those people over there that, that do not know Christ. In our community, we could launch this campus if we chose to be generous. And so that's what Kingdom Builders is. And those are the three areas that we focus on in our Kingdom Builders. And then we have three Kingdom Builder focused offerings throughout the year. We do one in the first quarter. We do one leading right into the summer in May. And then we'll take another one at the end of the year, usually in November. And so the church will come that weekend. They'll, they'll pray about what they want to give towards one of these areas. And they'll bring their offering for a kingdom builder focused offering that weekend. Now, um, let me talk to you about your high capacity leaders or your high capacity givers in your church. I mean, the people that can accelerate the vision. There are people in your church, by the way, that have the gift of giving. And God blesses their businesses and their, their finances so they can help accelerate your vision, all right? Let me talk to you about building relationships with them and pastoring them, all right? You have to take it upon yourself to be the point person in pastoring these high-capacity givers. And let me tell you why building relationship with them is so important. Because people buy into the person before they buy into the vision, so when they start developing relationship with you and they'll buy into the vision and they will accelerate your vision and help you accomplish the what ifs. All right. So here's what I do. I take one day a week where I meet with our high capacity givers that you can whatever number you want to choose. There's no exact number. I'm working on a list of like the top 50 givers in our church. Those are the ones that I'm working on. My Fridays are my time to meet with my high capacity givers to build relationship with them. So they'll buy into the vision. So these people come on the radar because you see their giving trends, okay? And so then I have my assistant reach out to them and meet with them. Pastor Randy just wants to get together with you and have some coffee or have some lunch. Sometimes my wife will come with me as well. And so if their spouse can come, that's great as well. 
If it's a female, then definitely my wife comes with me, okay? So here is the conversation that I have with them. Let me give you my talking points, all right? First one is, tell me about your family. I want to I wanna get to know you. Tell me a little bit about who you are and your family. Tell me about your spiritual journey. That's the second thing I ask them. Tell me about your spiritual journey, how you came to know the Lord. Which leads me into, tell me how you found Bayside. How did you end up at our church? Then after that, I ask them this question. First of all, I say, you know, the Bible says your heart really determines where you put your treasure at. Okay, they're tied together. What is it about this church that grabs your heart that made you want to put your treasure here? Okay, I don't know if you realize this or not, but that was worth the price of you coming to this session all by itself, okay? Because you just tapped into their legacy. You just tapped into the thing in their life that they want to leave their mark for. And so they'll say, well, you know what we do with the next generation or the way we do outreach or whatever it is. I, I can tell you one of the three things that they always say. The outreach, the next generation, and what we do in missions around the world, okay? That, that's how you pick your lanes, the things that people are the most passionate about, okay? And so now that I have that, what do you think my subsequent conversations are going to be about with them? The things that they are passionate about because that's where they want to leave their mark. Last point in this conversation is, What's on, what's on your heart? What are you praying about? Because I don't just have a conversation with them about what they're passionate about financially, but I want to talk, man, you told me about your daughter and she was trying to figure out what college you go to. I've been praying for her. How's that going? Or whatever it is, because you pastor them as well. All right. Now, when you have this relationship with them, this answers questions. High capacity givers, you must answer these questions in order for them to want to be a part of accelerating the vision. And that is this. First of all, do the leaders have the competency and the character for me to give my money? You have to answer that question. They're asking that question. Even if it's not out loud, they're asking it silently. Do the leaders of this church, meaning do you have the character and the competency that I should give my money to? Here's the second one. Can I give more than money? They don't mind writing checks, but they really would like to be more involved in that. Well, guess what? That's what dream centers and adopt the blocks and outreach and all the things that you're doing. Take them and ask them to be a part of that as well. They don't want to just stroke checks. They want to be a part of it beyond that. Is this organization making a difference? So in your church, when you're sharing about your kingdom builders offerings, you better be showing the results of what your church is doing. At our dream center, at our adopted blocks, or with the next, here, here's how many kids got saved at our camps, or here's the stories that happened so they see the ROI, right? Is this organization making a difference? And then they, they want to know the question, what is God saying to me? So that's the whole thing, is then you ask them to pray about it and see what God wants you to give. So those are some kingdom builder things that, that you know, it started with the heart. That's some principles that I put in place over the last eight years now. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you guys a chance for questions in just a moment. Uh, and so are we, are we, we done at the time schedule with pastor David, pastor David, you want to do want to come up here? Okay. David's going to talk about uh, developing a healthy culture in your church. And then we'll do some Q and a for both of these topics here in just a minute. Y'all give it up for pastor David. do this. Let's give a big hand to Pastor Randy. How many know I, there's, there, you don't need anything else? Like you go away and um, church would be better just from what he shared because you'd have some new things to tackle, some new people to pastor. And that, that all by itself is good. But I, I want to take a few minutes and talk about culture. And um, I think culture is something that we all want to be really healthy. We want it to be wholesome. We want it to be um, scalable. We want it to be reproducing. But I'm not sure that we get our, get, get our arms well around what might be unhealthy or how to identify unhealth in our culture. Peter Drucker said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so you can have all the strategy you want. You can lay out all the systems you want. You can have uh, all kinds of ideas and creative meetings and all the rest of it. But if the culture in your church is messy or unhealthy, 
all of it will be unproductive and you will constantly be trying to tweak the dials of system when really the problem doesn't lie there. And so um, what I'd like to do is just take a few minutes and give you some identifying factors, some things you can look for, look at that would Im, you know, kind of let you know that you've got some unhealth in your culture. Um, here's how I'd like you to write it down. What does unculture, uh, unhealthy culture look like? This is the culture key. Um, and it is directly flowing from what Pastor Randy just talked about. And that's this. Don't be controlled by money or the people who have it. And so um, here's the deal. Everybody needs more money. That's where we started. But one of the biggest temptations, per particularly for growing younger churches, but listen, I promise you, Pastor Randy, 20 plus thousand people at Easter services, building the incredible building that they built to seat 2,500 people, launching campuses all around Bradenton, Sarasota, still has a need for resources, even though his church from the outside may seem to have all the money it needs. There's bigger vision there than the resource base already is capable of supporting. Doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, who said it yesterday? Was it Pastor Daniel Floyd that said the problems, all that happens as your church gets bigger is there's more zeros. That's all it is. And so, and, and in every area. And so this is true of money. Now here's, here's what I want you to connect to. God has a role in your church and he's defined his role in scripture. He's our provider and he's the vision downloader. Everything that you do in your church should be driven by vision that the Holy Spirit has imparted to you. And we all pursue that and we ask that question, God, what will you have us do? What should this house look like? What should our house do in this place? You've placed us in our city at this time. Why are we here? It's a vision question. What are we to do? That's God's job to provide it. Here's the second part of God's job. God's job is to resource it. So God says, I, I have told you to build this. I've told you to go here. I've told you to serve this community. I've told you to reach that community. I've told you to do these things. Now, I'd put in your house some oil. Randy talked about it. But here, here's where we have a problem as a leader. This is a problem. We were a young church 11 and a half years ago. We got started. We were in a movie theater for six and a half years. And uh, the time came for us to buy and build our first building because we'd hit a lid and all the reasons that you do it. And uh, part of our journey to, to build the building required raising some money. And so we had saved half a million dollars the first six and a half years, or four and a half years at that point, and we needed to raise another half a million. And we had you know, miracle offerings and all the stuff that you do, and we had people give into those, but we had a couple of people who came and said, I really believe in this house, and I want to write a large check. Wonderful conversation. How many know those are some of your favorite moments in ministry? I, I love the word large that you put in front of the word check. That's a good word, good choice there. And, um, and, and as they, as they kind of held out the check, they, they held out the envelope, they said, and so pastor, here's a large check. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. And they said, I've also put my thoughts about what we should do with the building in there with it. Listen, I want you to understand something. The moment that you start taking checks that come with notes, you have replaced the throne that God sits on and you have put man in God's place. Because what you have said is, God, you may be able to drive the vision, but I've let someone else who is supposed to be the conduit of your provision now replace you with the notes about the shape of the vision. It's a big deal when we start allowing the people who have large resources to reshape the vision because they are able to bring the provision that God has poured through them. And they've misunderstood their place. And as a young church planner, if some of you that are beginning or starting, you're a couple of years in, I'm telling you, every dollar, like you are scraping pennies together. We were. How do I get to the next thing God has told us to do? What do we do there? Don't know what to do. And someone comes along, and I, haven't, I hadn't learned how to pastor them yet. Hadn't learned how to help them connect to the vision. And their provision was a part of the goal, but it wasn't, they didn't, they didn't give them control of the goal. I hadn't gone there yet. And we got, it, we got into some awkward conversations along the way. And here's the other side of the coin. Once, we, once I started to get it figured out, in our offering, in our, in our building campaign, the very last offering, I was driving up out of the movie theater, I was going up to have lunch. I got a phone call from our assistant. And um, she said to me, uh, Pastor David, are you sitting down? I said, I hope so. I'm driving. Like, <laughs> yes. So she said, I just wanted to share this with you. I just, we just, you know, got the offering, counted it, collected it. And there's a check in here for $160,000. And I said, uh, can you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right, right. Was anything stapled to that, right? Um, 
I said, you know, okay, you know, tell me about that. She, she said, it's a personal check. This isn't a company check. This is just a personal check for $160,000. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call them and, and first make sure they didn't write the wrong number. And uh, let's be sure. But second of all, I want you to ask them a question. Was there something in their heart that was attached to that contribution? Because here's the reality. Some people will give you a set of notes with the check in order to control you. Other people will give you the check with unknown expectations for the money that later they will come and fight you about the use of the money. And so I had Alicia call that, that couple and ask them a question. And, and it, it's the answer we all want. They said, listen, we trust our church. We need to use that wherever it is needed, which is what you want. And that couple is still in our church. They're still involved. They're still committed. They're still giving. They're a wonderful, wonderful couple. That's what we all want. And you will, you will have that if you can develop a culture that tells your church we are not controlled by those whom God uses to provide great resources to fulfill God's vision. Because God's the one who sits on that throne. His job is to download the vision and then pour provision through the people. It's not my job to let you to control what we do. So don't be controlled by money of the people who have it. And uh, if you find yourself tending toward need driving the way you receive the, the giving... Because we're in need, I'm going to let you go ahead and tell me a few of your ideas. I, if you'll, I don't mind you sharing a few things if, if you'll bring that check. You're going to find yourself in a, in a place where people will perceive it. They will know that you are beholden to someone who has finances. And as, as a leader, you compromise your calling when you get controlled by that. So don't do that, okay? Here's a, if you are, that's, in, that's, that's a clear sign of unhealth. Here's a second thing. I call it rear view mirror pride. Um, this is a culture that is proud of its heritage to a fault. Um, if you're a new church planner, you're getting to define the culture, which is huge. But for those of us who've been in it a little while, as the journey goes on, a couple of years in, five years in, seven years in, you get people who were a part of church for quite some time, and um, they come and they, they, they end up in your church, and maybe for several years, but they were a part of another church for some season. And the things that they remember from the place they were become the things they begin to ask you why you don't do. And, um, and I want to help you with this because most of us, I see all kinds of nodding going on around this room. Anybody, anybody ever met somebody like this? A lot of nodding. Okay. So um, here's the thing. We often, and I, and I do this, we often connect their language about what they used to do and why it's right and how come it should be there and why don't we do it here and all that kind of stuff. Or maybe someone that's been in your church, you know, we're 11 years old, people that were here in year two that are talking about at year 11, well, why don't we? And I remember... And our tendency as a leader is to think, or a pastor is to think, that there's something wrong with them. They're not bought in. They're, 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 they're a complainer. They're going to be a dissenting voice. They're divisive. But I want to help you here. I just please let me help you. What often is the case is not that they are not bought in. This isn't always true, but often it's true. What they remember is where fruit came from. Listen to me. They, they, they looking, they're looking back and going, I remember sitting in a conversation with a couple because of the way we did small groups. And I got to hear that couple talk about their marriage and there was fruit there and it got restored. And I loved being in those moments with people and I'm not connected to that anymore. And I'm over here and I don't experience the joy of the fruit of what happened back there. So I feel defeated and depleted and, and the reason they feel that way, and you need to write this down, is because most pastors struggle to paint more beautiful sunrises than sunsets. You got people who are looking at the sunset they came from and they love the colors. It was wonderful. And because, our, because as pastors, we haven't figured out how to get all those people who are connected to the fruit from the past, the things they were invested in, looking forward at the beautiful blues and yellows and oranges out in front of them, all they can see is where they came from. And we get upset like they're a complainer. I'm telling you, they're not complainers. They want to be a part of the beauty of ministry and they can't see where it's going. And we call it an unhealthy culture. And the reason it's unhealthy is because we're not, we're not painting beautiful sunrises. So someone can't help but look this way instead of stare back there. It's unhealthy. And, and don't, we, we as pastors are responsible for it. We're responsible for it. It's not their job to say, thank you for doing it the way you're doing it without communicating about our pain and sunrise. I want someone to say to me, I loved when we did that. It was amazing. I remember the fruit of it because I can help them take that and go, here's how we do that better and more and again. 
look at this. And they go, oh, and come alive in it. Okay? So, um, rearview mirror pride. Uh, one other thing I'll give you real quick, and then I'll just, because we got about three minutes, um, and we want to do some Q&A. Um, churches are really good at creating friendly environments. I, I think churches are the best places in the world, next to Disney, at creating friendliness. Like, they're great. Every one of your churches probably has an impressions environment, impressions department. You want the best-looking, smiliest people you can have on the front door. You, like, you, you, spray, you, you have cologne in the room for them. So they show up. You spray it on them. You check their pits for body odor. We do everything we can to make sure that it's friendly, right? Give people the right color contacts to put in so their eyes sparkle. Like, we do everything we can. That's an idea if you haven't done that one yet. That's an idea. Um, create friendliness. And so when people arrive at your church, there's lots of high fives, and there's lots of we're glad you're here, and there's lots of smiles. But churches are not good at creating intentional environments for friendship. We want people to leave our churches and say, I had a great experience. I want people to, I want people to talk about my church wherever they go and say, man, I, I felt at home. I felt comfortable. Those people were not. I want them, I want them to say all that. But the truth of the matter is that after about two or six or 10 or 21 weeks of that, there's a, there's a place that people come to, whether you want to call it taking it for granted, whether you want to call it familiarity, pick a word you like, but people don't stay because of friendliness. They stay because of friendship. And so an unhealthy culture says, we want you to feel welcome. A healthy culture says, we want you to find a home and, and homes require intentionality. I, I heard a Larry Osborne talked about this um, idea at one point, and um, one of the things he described was that people have sockets, basically. You have friendship sockets, and everybody has a certain number. You may have six or 12 or whatever, and they all vary. But when people are arriving at a new church or coming to your church, they typically have several empty sockets. That's part of the reason they're arriving at your church or a result of their arriving at your church. They had a terrible experience. They got hurt. Pick a thing. Or they're a new person. They're, they're far from God and they show up and they need some community. There's empty sockets. Most of the people that are at your church and at my church have been at my church for a little while, right? There's new people that arrive, but many of the people that have been here for a while have all of their sockets filled, They've already built friends. They've got community. They do the same things with the same people every Thursday night or Friday night. They do that. Their sockets are filled. And so new people show up for looking for someone to connect to, fill a socket. And what they find is a high five. They find friendship instead of a new friend. And so it's kind of like, how many of you went to college as freshmen? You went off to college as a freshman. You went to like a freshman orientation. Anybody? Two people in here. That's okay. That's better. All right. How many of you still have friends from that, you know, freshman orientation, that first year of college, right? Many people do. Why? Because you showed up at college, you went to freshman orientation with all the freshmen who were showing up with no friends. They have empty sockets looking for friendship. Anybody transfer schools? Okay, a few people. All right. So transfer, we show up at a, a, a school transfer, we go to another college, and you show up, and you may go to an orientation moment, but that orientation moment, most of the people that are at it have been at the school, and they already have friends. And so most people don't maintain any friendships out of a transfer experience, but almost everybody does when they go to like a freshman orientation, their first school, because they connected with people who had empty sockets. An unhealthy culture is, would be one that doesn't have intentionality around friendship creation, only around friendliness ex in the experience, okay? So those are characteristics. Um, I want to make sure we take some time to, uh, to do some Q&A. So Pastor Randy, why don't you come back up here and, um, and let's ask some questions about finances, kingdom builders, uh, generosity creation, uh, any of that, or around... Uh, you know, some of the healthy and unhealthy culture. And we got a couple of mics. And listen, we're recording this, so we got to make sure every question gets on a microphone. So um, we're going to, yeah, thank you for making sure we get those mics around. Now it's on. There we go. Well done. Hey, David. Uh, so give me something you guys are doing to create uh, the friendship sockets on a Sunday morning experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so our, our environments for friendship creation generally are uh, small on Sunday morning and they're intentional outside of Sunday morning. Um, 
part of the reason is time oriented. Uh, so we do have our campus pastors, um, one of whom is in here, Paul DeChico is in here, Pastor Dale I think is in, maybe was in here as well. But um, they are responsible to be kind of stationed at a destination after service and we charge them with the facilitation of connection. So they, they, there's no way to help them build new friendships on Sunday morning because everybody's got friends generally. So what we charge our campus pastors with is connection with every person at Guest Central um, and follow up directly with the, in, the direct communication saying, I'm going to take responsibility for your connection. So, um, so that's, that's Sunday morning. There's a whole principle here. The, the single greatest factor in a person's discipleship is personal ownership, not personal mentorship. So it is not that I adopt someone for the next three years for their discipleship. It's that I own you for a season. And when that season ends, the season of assimilation, let's say, or creating a friendship, I hand you off to the next person for ownership for that season. Personal ownership is the greatest factor. So we, we begin it at Guest Central with our campus pastor and a Guest Central team. Um, and then the second thing for us is we position Life Song 101, which is our kind of first dip in the water to find out about our church as a place to meet others who are figuring out whether or not Lifesong Church can be their home. So we tell people it isn't about the information. Yes, there's information. Yes, we'll talk about membership, blah, blah, blah. The, but the real goal is we want everybody who doesn't yet know if this is home to show up because they all have empty sockets. Okay. And here's the third thing. Uh, on Sunday morning, we run an event. We call it Next. It's five steps. It's fundamental exploration of the life of Peter married to an individual story. And um, the goal of that is not the content. It's, it's great content, but the goal of it is we have a table facilitator who sits at the table. So we teach for about 20 minutes. And the next 40 minutes is it, like a small group idea. A person is navigating connection amongst the six people at that table. So if they, there's no test, there's no, we're going to teach all that material in other contexts later, but it is, a, it is a space created around what you're going to learn about your, your story married to Peter with the purpose for the table facilitator of connecting sockets. Okay, great question. Hi, so my husband and myself will um, be moving to Tampa to start a church with ARC and wanted to know what would you recommend us do in regards to... Um, coming up with the finances to start our church? So I would tell you to follow the ARC model because uh, there, in church planning, there is a kind of a, a, a game plan, if you will, to, to raise those funds. So uh, you're probably being sent out from another church. I, I would imagine you have some sending church or whatever, and uh, hopefully they're sending you out and supporting you. I, I'll always tell people when they're they're building their database of people they're going to send a letter to and raise support is that if you do it to people inside the church that are attending the church that's sending you, talk to the lead pastor there and ask them if that's okay. In other words, don't fish off the company pier. All right. They're, they're already supporting you and helping you. So double dipping, just honor your leadership and ask them. But build a database of everybody that you ever know, and here's what will happen. All right, okay, this is what happened to me. I had my database, and I went, oh, these people can give this, and they can give this, and that's how we're going to hit our goal. And the people that I thought were going to give didn't, and the people that I didn't think were going to give did, and God helped us do immeasurably more. Mm -hmm. So, yep. yeah. Pastor Randy, you mentioned over here. Where are we? Oh, okay. <laughs> You mentioned that uh, you meet with your high capacity givers and for you that's about 50 on the list that you're working with now. If I were to meet with my top 50, that's probably every giver in my church. So can you tell me what percentage uh, is your, those 50 givers, what percentage of your givers does that 50 represent? Well, uh, I don't know the total uh, giving units, uh, you know, letters or, or uh, giving statements that we send out at the end of the year, but it would be a very small percentage. And so uh, what you're looking for are people that can really accelerate the vision. It, I would say if they're not giving over probably twelve dollars or $15,000 in a calendar in 12 months, they, they probably don't have the ability to really give some significant kind of offerings. And so uh, also you can use that opportunity to, to meet with people who are in your church who you know based on their profession or their business that they have the ability to give large amounts 
And maybe they're only giving small amounts or maybe they're not giving at all. So let me give you a conversation to have on question number four that I gave you your talking points for someone who is not giving. And so I would ask them at the end of your, I mean, you guys, you're obviously your business is doing well, or, you know, you, you kind of set it up that way and God's blessing you guys at the end of your life. What do you want to have left your mark on? What do you want people to say about you that all these, this stuff that God has blessed you with, that you would say, I, I left my mark doing this. Same thing, you're looking for the key to their heart. Chances are your church is doing something that they would want to do, all right? By the way, whenever you figure out what that is, pastor them to help them live that legacy, even if it has nothing to do with your church. Remember, all of this is not a fundraising goal it's a way for you to pastor the high capacity givers in your church. And if you pastor them, God will use that. I did that with one man in our church. I didn't really know how wealthy he was. I got a six-figure check later on because I helped him with these other things. Okay. And I had no idea that was coming, you know. Yes, sir. Pastor Rank, just a follow-up to that. I mean, if uh, you're meeting, so are you meeting with them one time a year? I mean, I'm just trying to think of... It, it ends up it, about one time a year. Sometimes it's more than that. If they have a pastoral care issue, then, you know, like the, the prayer request, you know, the, the, the fifth topic, I might meet with them some more and kind of help them. Um, also, I might meet with them more when maybe something in our kingdom builders kind of a vision is coming up that they talked about. Maybe we're taking a kingdom builder focused offering for, uh, you know, the next gen and we have conferences or summer camps or missions trips coming up and we need some accelerated vision, I might meet with them again and go, listen, I want to remind you, you said how important this was. We're taking our offering. Thank you for praying about it. Do you have any questions about this before we get to that offering time? I just want to make sure you were clear enough because I know you're passionate about it. So that might cause me to have another meeting with them a little bit sooner than once a year. The list is refreshed. It is an organic growing list all the time yes and so what would you do if um if someone came to you that you knew were on was on that list and maybe they just didn't know how to explain it but they said to you pastor randy what do you need but i love those kind of people <laughs> but so, they give large checks yeah. with no notes <laughs> and so but how do you steer that towards one of the three things that we're trying to do that's kingdom builders well there's always a what if you know i'm always laying out the vision here's what we're going to do so then I, I say, well, you know, have you, you, whatever I know we're in need of right now. So for us, it would be our, our college. And what's happening there, I would go, man, let me tell you the opportunity we have right now. And so I could really use your help in, in, in helping accelerate this vision. You have to understand something about high capacity givers. They don't mind writing large checks, but they don't want to be the only ones giving. They want everybody pulling the wagon. So that's why you need to... Okay, this is how we do it. We take Kingdom Builders focused offerings because we want everybody giving towards it because I don't want the high capacity leaders to feel like they're the only ones pulling the load. Okay, so I, I tell them we're taking this offering. Everybody's going to be giving, but I want to meet with you because I know you can really help us get there. All right. Pastor Andy. Yeah. For context purposes, uh, size of church and how big is your organic list at any given time? It's really fluctuating anywhere ours, mine is, anywhere from 50 to 100 people. It, it's kind of always flowing in that direction. It, it really, for us, it's become more of a, a dollar amount than it is a number of people. Pastor Randy, over here. Uh, what do you do to, do you have any maybe tips on reducing... Uh, your staffing margin, like I've heard some churches do, like uh, employees go out and raise their, they have to raise half of their salary themselves from their own network that's outside of the church. For church is, planning you were talking uh, about? Or just in, in more in a general sense, because that's after launch as well, but mm -hmm. specifically like staffing margins, because staffing margins could very quickly get out of control no, if they you allow it. Can. If you allow it. So how do you, what is, is there any kind of that's like a, tricks great or question. tips to keep that in check? Look, I, I, told, I will tell you, when we started our church, you can throw that 35% for salary stuff, just throw that out the window, okay? 
because what you need to do more than anything else is pastor as well as you can the people that are coming so you can get them to come back so they can have relational community and get them to want to come back. So we, we would save, you know, some money for rainy day. Uh, but we reinvested most of the money back into the church to build savings accounts in the hearts of men, not bank accounts. And that's how you grow your church. So uh, anytime we had any margin, we used it to hire more people, not to put more money in the bank account because we're two years old, we're trying to reinvest it in people. So it works well in a church plant. Two of our staff were supported halfway from the church they came and I paid the other. But after, you know, you get past a couple of years, I, th I think it kind of makes you seem like a church plant. I think the competency and character question you have to answer, people may be, well, they, they need to learn how to manage their money a little bit better. And I know it's tight and I'm not trying to minimize that, but I think when you get them to raise money and people in the church for their salary, um, it, it just can can diminish your character and competency. For those uh, top givers, um, is it always a one-on-one, -on -one, or do you take like the ones that you know, given the missions, do you bring them into a group? Uh, sometimes, as far as you know, getting them together. Um, I have done that sometimes, but it's primarily I want to meet them one-on-one -on -one, because they won't always open up their heart in a group. You know, especially when it comes to their prayer requests and how do I really pastor them? They're probably not going to share that. So I found one-on-one -on -one works a whole lot better for those kind of things. I had a question for you. That check you had, they had a note. Did you cash it first before you went to them and said, well, we don't really do? I would have. Yeah. Pastor Randy, right here. Um, your three times a year Kingdom Builders offering, do you do that in lieu of, say, a heart for the house offering? It's the same, it's same, same thing. It's the same thing, but you just do it three times a year versus like a one at the end of the year. Yes, and, and let me tell you why we've landed that way. And we have done, I've never had just one offering. We've spread them out throughout the year like that because uh, it allows me to put an emphasis towards a particular thing. But when I've done it just or done one of them at the end of the year, December is always a huge month for us, a giving month. So what I found is if I did my focused offering at the end of the year, I didn't get really any more than I was going to get anyway. So I do it in, you know, October-ish, the end of October, very beginning of November, and I still have a big December anyway because these high-capacity givers, they, at the end of the year, they get bonuses and different things, so they give it then. But it doesn't impact my offerings if I do them other times of the year. But it is our heart for the house. All right. Oh, you have another one? Okay. Yeah, Pastor. One, um, when you meet with your high-capacity givers, you give the ask then after you ask those four questions? No, you sir. You ask or you just wait for it and then when it No, that first, around, first meeting, I do not ask. I'm just trying to find out their heart and start pastoring them. Uh, so they buy into me and I get to pastor them. Now, later on, once I know the key to their heart, I don't necessarily ask for a dollar amount. I just remind them of the offering that's coming up and the vision. And I go, listen, please be praying with me. I'm believing for this half a million dollars we need or whatever. And I know you're passionate about that. So would you be praying and believe in God with me and, and pray and bring your best offering as well? And I know the church will, and we're going to accomplish this. Thank you so much. That's the ask. Yeah. All right. Uh, I hope you guys uh, have enjoyed this. Come on, y'all give it up for Pastor David as well. Thank you, man.